Welcome to the Unity Works Podcast, where we'll share positive insight on today's topical and sometimes controversial topics. The discussion is shaped through the lens of unity and acceptance while focusing on our community, families, and the workplace. Life works better when we come together. Here's your host, Daryl Ross. Hello and welcome to the Unity Works Podcast. Just thrilled that you're here. I'm your host, Daryl Ross. Today, we're talking about unity in the workplace, how leaders build great teams. Looking forward to this topic. But first, just a reminder, if you haven't already done so, please hit subscribe, share our podcast link with a friend. Really helps the channel out. Truly appreciate that. Let's dig in. I am passionate. Hope you can tell about leadership and best practices. I think we really don't talk about it enough, do we? I took a course online recently through the John Maxwell Organization and even the Disney Institute, and it was so insightful. It's amazing how much it brings out in you. But I think what happens, a lot of companies fall in the cardinal sin of thinking their employees already have that trait, right? We already had that together. And, you know, you played sports, didn't you? You were a Boy Scout or a Girl Scout, so you have the leadership skills, don't you? But no, many people who had been in the role for years had never really figured out their style. How do they hold people accountable? How do they recognize people? Either way, you have official or unofficial influence over others. So if we're going to build a great team, you have to know how you are as a leader. Chances are, if you've been in the workplace long enough, you have been on a very poor, non-productive, maybe even toxic team. I know I have. This falls 100% on the culture of the team, organization, and yes, the leader. So if you're listening right now and you're a manager, supervisor, director, it's on you. You have direct impact on the culture. I think the big misconception is that that falls on the senior corporate leadership level. So yes, that matters too. I mean, I think the style of your team or unity in the workplace stems from upper leadership, but never underestimate your direct impact on the brand, on the culture. So keep that in mind. You have a lot to do with this. So start this year off. Think about, you know what? I want to go into 2022 with a different mindset. What can I do to make a difference in my team, my department, my organization moving in to this next year? The first thing I want you to do is take an audit on your team meeting. See, I learned a lot from just team meetings. How was your meeting? Is it upbeat? Is it somewhat negative? Is it toxic? Is it like, do you loathe it and just wish it could go away? You know, it's amazing what happens during your team meeting. Now, I got to tell you a quick story about a company I worked for years ago. It was a long time ago, but it was so toxic that on Saturday or Sunday, I'm already thinking about the Monday morning meeting. You ever gone through that before? Like it almost ruins your weekend. My wife would point out to me that, hey, Snap out of it. I need you here, right? But I'm already thinking about this toxic meeting on Monday. So I literally text a buddy of mine on Sunday afternoon and I said this, I'm about to lick some chicken juice. True story. Now, some of you probably thinking, that's gross, Daryl, but hang on. First, you have to know my humor. Let me kind of take you back. It's a very toxic environment. I couldn't stand it. Monday morning is the meeting. And I say Sunday to my buddy, hey, I'm about to lick some chicken juice. So what do you think that means? 
And if you're guessing you'd rather be sick, that's right. I would rather have salmonella than go to that meeting tomorrow. I was dead serious and he knew what I meant as well. That's how bad the meeting is. Now, hopefully you're not going through anything like that, but understand that might be the culture of some of the team members that you are working with. So we want to be mindful of how we are coming across in our own meeting. Here's the great thing. Many of you, like I said, have maybe been on some poor teams. You've also probably been on some great teams. And 100% of the greatness of the team is also on the culture, the organization, and even the leader. So what was it? Why was that team so great? Most importantly, can you duplicate that? In other words, can we manufacture a great team in the workplace? That's exactly what the great minds at Google tried to figure out. And this is all highlighted in the book, The Power of Habit by national best-selling author Charles Duhigg. The first thing that Charles Duhigg did in his book was talk about the science of teams. I thought it was fascinating that there's actual research and data to prove what makes a great team. So if you were to ask yourself that, what makes a great team? I think you might come up with people, right? That people matter and putting the right people together, right skill sets. And I wouldn't argue with you. That's the first thing I said. But according to Google, that isn't exactly accurate. That does matter. But when it came down to it, that was not the catalyst that made the difference. See, who is on the team is much less important than how the team interacts. See, that's a big shift in the mindset of what makes a great team. See, we all thought it's who's there. Not really. It's how do those team members interact with each other? And Google came up with their top five criteria. Here they are here, starting with number five, impact. That if the team's working on a project or an initiative, that they must feel like that they individually have impact, and that what they're doing makes a difference. That's number five. Number four, meaning that why are we doing this? That team members on great teams understand why they're doing it and why it matters. Number three, structure and clarity. In other words, there's a process. How do we do things? Have you ever been in a meeting and the leader wants to do X, Y, and Z, and they leave, right? And you're left to go, okay, well, how do we do that? Like, it doesn't really help for you to kind of bark out or write out or (laughs) talk about all the things you want to do if there's no structure or process in place to do that. The other thing is end in mind, meaning that's the old Stephen Covey phrase, begin with the end in mind that we know where the goalposts are. I see a great team always knows what we're actually after. And the clarity part, simply put, is communication. Now, we're going to do another episode on communication by itself, but great teams have clear communication within their team. Number two, dependability. So each team member can be counted on. They can pull their own weight. So let me kind of back up. Number five, impact. Number four, meaning. Number three, structure and clarity. Number two, dependability. But the number one criteria by far that Google says is part of a great team, psychological safety. Now, I hadn't even heard of that, but that is huge. When I go back to that company I worked for years ago and I wanted to lick the chicken juice, I think part of the problem was 
There was no psychological safety. What does that mean? It's where you can share and be vulnerable in meetings without backlash or ridicule. Does that make sense? Like the company I work for, that was that mindset of the leader. Well, it's an open door policy, share, but deep down, they didn't want to hear anything you had to say. They weren't going to do it. And you know what happened over the months and years? We stopped bringing our good ideas. I couldn't wait to get out of that meeting. So I think what psychological safety is talking about is that's safe to bring your great idea. It's safe to participate, safe to contribute. And by the way, so leaders, I don't want you to misconstrue what I'm saying. This does not mean that you have to listen to all your teammates' ideas and do everything they say. Absolutely not. Some of the ideas are ridiculous, right? But the whole point is you set a foundation in place to where it's open. It's welcome. No, bring your ideas. That's the whole point of psychological safety because that's how you'll get your teammates to really be part and contribute to the team initiative, the project. So back to the book, The Power of Habit from Charles Duhigg, he tells a story about SNL, Saturday Night Live, where the cast members were not getting along. Now, you would think that'd be a fun gig, right? You'd be sitting around tables, writing up sketches, having some fun, laughing. Nope. I guess back in the late 70s and 80s, Lorne Michaels, he's the executive producer of Saturday Night Live, was saying it was toxic. I mean, Writers were backstabbing each other, going behind each other's back to get their sketch in. And keep in mind, if your sketch got in, meaning they used it on the show, typically that meant somebody else's sketch got cut. So you can see the dynamic of negativity going on there. So that was highlighted in the book. It's a great read, but you'll learn about that. Now, yes, we don't all work for Saturday Night Live, but the premise is the same for your meeting. So here's my top five list on how we can have more unity in the workplace and more specifically how leaders can build great teams with psychological safety as our foundation. Number one, build trust. Absolutely build trust. Matter of fact, our next episode's all about building trust. So it's kind of funny, whenever I'm training or coaching up a leader and I'll mention building trust, they kind of look at me perplexed like, yeah, yeah, Daryl, I got that one. I need more pragmatic steps. And I go, no, no, that is the step. Number one, you got to build trust. Look, my mentor taught me a long time ago, others will watch you before they hear you. That's a good one, isn't it? I'll say it again. Others will watch you before they hear you. Long before your great trainings and your leadership style, they've been watching how you are. How do you do things? How do you navigate relationships in the workplace. How do you work with customers? Uh, great story. I was working with a team of frontline employees and talking about customer service, all right, and what they want to do in the organization. And privately, one of them said to me, well, my boss doesn't do that. And I was like, oh, gut punch, right? So leaders, long before you talk about what you want your team members to do or be or how to act in the workplace, they're watching how you do it. And one of the ways you can really be mindful of that is building trust within the team. Others are watching how you are, right? Number one, build trust. And keep in mind, the next episode, we'll dig a little deeper dive into how you can build trust specifically with your team, right? Number two, own your meeting. Own your 
meeting. Remember that story I told you about how on Sunday afternoon, I'd rather lick chicken juice than go to the meeting on Monday. And it really matters. So a couple of best practices. Number one, thank them for being there. All right. If you have a meeting and I know you're thinking, well, let me thank them. They had to be there. Does it matter? Thank them for their time. It really matters that they know you are appreciative and grateful after they're on time, ready to go, and have more of a positive projection. And I know you're thinking, what does that matter? It's everything. It truly does. So years ago, I worked for Wyndham Vacation Resorts. I loved that job, actually. It's kind of fun. And I was a frontline sales rep, and I was out there. Every week, we do our big sales meeting, like 65 people are there, and the managers all ran the meeting. And I'll be honest, it's one of those what I call underachieving meetings. You ever been to those before where the managers just kind of rattle off all the numbers and that aren't going well, right? We didn't hit this, didn't hit that. And yeah, you would clap for the people that got a sale the day before, but it was really kind of, uh, kind of negative and not the best meeting. Well, eventually I moved up the ranks, became a presenter, and now I'm a manager. So it's now on me to also be part of those meetings. So once a month, I was in charge of running the all hands meeting. All right. So I never forget my very first time and no one told me to do this. And I think I did it because I was recently part of the front line. So I knew what it felt like to be in that underachieving meeting. So I kind of switched it up a little bit and made it more positive. Actually, I practiced in my garage. Don't forget this. We're in Vegas back in the day. My wife came out there. Who are you talking to out here? <laughs> and I was like, I'm talking to myself. I'm practicing, you know. So what I did was kind of interject some more, you know, positive motivation, some quotes, some stories to kind of lift up the team. And I just thought that's what I'd like to hear. I mean, I still have to, you know, say the numbers and maybe mention the things that didn't go well, go ahead and say that. You have to, you're a leader. But also, what went well and what can we capitalize on and be better next time? I thought really mattered. So we had a team member that's a little more difficult in the workplace. You might have one like this. I mean, he's not a bad person, just would speak her mind, raise her hand, always had something to say, and managers really didn't want to deal with her that much. Okay. So I did my meeting, you know, it kind of went well, pumped the troops up. And then after the meeting, that person walked up to me. Now keep in mind, I'm standing right next to two other managers. As she walks up, they go, see you, Daryl. See you, Daryl. <laughs> He's kind of left me. So she walked up and a little kind of awkward socially, but uh, she goes, uh, Daryl, can I ask you about your meeting? And, and I said, sure, sure. And she goes, uh, I liked it. And I was like, thank you. I wasn't sure where she was going with this. She goes, you know what it was? I could tell that you thought about us, didn't you? Like you really had some things to say that other than just what numbers we're not doing. And I said, actually, you're right. I practiced in my garage last night. She goes, you know what? I could tell. Really appreciate that. Thank you so much. And she walked away. And I was thinking, man, you know what? That was a gift. Thank you. So I told the managers, you know what she said? Basically, that we stink, that our meetings are, are terrible, that they're so negative. Yes, we have to share the numbers, but why not have a little more positive projection in our meetings? So I lead with that after trust because, hey, that's what team members know and feel. So if we're talking about having a great team, I guarantee you great teams, the leaders own the meeting, it's upbeat, and there's a more 
positive projection in the meeting. All right. Number three, encourage participation. And this is really on you leaders. Send an agenda in advance and maybe in the agenda you ask a question. That way they know to think about it in advance. Say right now we're going to meet on Tuesday. I send you the agenda a day in advance. And in the agenda, I go, hey, I'm going to ask you about our customers and their challenges with this particular product or whatever. Maybe I'll ask you about, hey, what's going well? How are you getting past the gatekeeper on the sales call? Whatever it is, that way your team has a minute to think about it and they already know you're going to call on them. So that kind of encourages participation because they know you're going to be talking about that. All right. Number four, create collaboration. And what I mean by this is that you actually ask your team to work together on a project where they can share best practices, and then they need to present that back to you or the team. And that way, they kind of can take it personally. Like whenever I am told to collaborate with somebody else, I take it kind of seriously. I remember I was working with a colleague of mine, and we put together a little slide deck. And, you know, some other team members just put together a slide deck. No big deal. I added images and some video and some animation going on because, hey, this is us and we're representing, right? So you'd be surprised what it does and it creates some camaraderie. That way you're sharing and you're collaborating with each other. Number five, focus on team performance rather than individual performance. Let me clarify that. Yes, you have to hold team members individually accountable, but you'd be surprised how you can shape that into a group effort really easily. So many of you may have had that manager who does the old wag the finger. I'm going to hold you accountable. I'm going to hold you accountable, right? And yes, we need to be held accountable to our numbers, our deliverables, but there's more than one way to hold your team accountable. There's a great story in Colin Powell's book. I know, you know, he passed away a while back, but he talks about accountability. And I think it really helps leaders rather than having the mindset of wagging your finger, thinking or saying, I'm going to hold people accountable. Think of how Colin Powell does this. So imagine right now there's a mountain and he needs to get me and my platoon up the left flank of the mountain. All right. So rather than him going, Ross, get up that mountain. I'm going to hold you accountable. Get up that mountain. He will actually share the big why. Lieutenant Ross, I need you up the left flank of the mountain because you're the cover for Lieutenant Walker's platoon on the right side of the mountain. See what just happened? He kind of brought me in on the big picture of why I matter. So now rather than me just thinking, oh, he's making me climb this mountain. No, no, no. I know I've got to get my platoon up the left flank of that mountain because I'm the cover for my buddy Lieutenant Walker's platoon on the right flank of that mountain. Now I'm going to hold myself accountable. So no matter where you work, if you're at Starbucks or 7-Eleven or a big corporate office, Coca-Cola or Google, tell your team why what they're doing matters, why it matters to the big picture, to the organization, even to the department, because that's when accountability really shifts. So it really helps you not just focus on the individual accountability, but how it affects the entire team. So a quick recap on how we can have more unity in the workplace and how leaders can build great teams. According to Google, number five, impact. It must make a difference and share with the team why it does. Number four, meaning. Why are we doing this? And make sure team members understand why it matters. 
Three, structure and clarity. Within that, what's the process, the end in mind and clear communication? Number two, dependability. Each team member can be counted on to pull their own weight. And number one, psychological safety to where we have a foundation where it's safe to bring your great ideas. Within that, here are the five pillars for leaders build trust. There it is. Others will watch you before they hear you. Number two, own your meeting. Thank them for being there and have more positive projection within your meeting. Even if you have to share some news that's somewhat negative, you can have a positive spin on the meeting. Number three, encourage participation. Make sure, send that agenda in advance and tell them, hey, I'm going to be asking you about XYZ in the meeting. Be prepared to speak. Number four, create collaboration. Ask your team members to work on a certain project or an initiative together. And number five, focus on team performance rather than individual performance. Don't forget the Colin Powell story about accountability. Bring them in on it. Why they matter. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Remember, if you want more unity in the workplace, you want to build a great team, it starts with you implement psychological safety it makes all the difference hey hit subscribe and share with a friend life works better when we come together talk to you all next week